Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, and thanks very much for joining us. Lots to come on this episode of the podcast, but we're going to begin by talking about having someone we can confide in, how important that is. Mental health is much more widely understood nowadays. It's taken seriously, especially after the pandemic, and more and more people are availing of counselling and greatly benefiting from that experience. Leo Muckley is our first guest. He's a psychotherapist and a counsellor from Glengariff down in West Cork, and he's recently opened his practice, and he's here today to talk about, well, I suppose, the business of psychotherapy and counselling. Leo, you're very welcome. How are you? I'm good, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Um, tell us a little bit about making that jump. The business question, first of all. Why'd you do it? Mm. Yeah, so I suppose um, for psychotherapists and counsellors specifically, you know, most people end up going into self-employment, into their own business. We call it a private practice um, rather than kind of going into employment, you know. Um, and I think the reason for that is, I suppose, around kind of what we earn but also the flexibility and the freedom it gives us because if you're kind of if you're employed for let's say an employee assistance program which a lot of corporate businesses would have and they'd refer anyone you know experiencing challenges out to an employee assistance program the counselors or therapists working on the other side of it kind of just have to go with what's given to them work with all the clients they're given and it's a nine to five monday to friday or sometimes it's shift work so there's no flexibility in it Whereas for me specifically, I appreciate, you know, having my own diary under my own control and kind of working with the types of issues that I like to work with specifically. Um, So I wouldn't say that I could work with every issue that a client might have. And I would feel if I was kind of being given clients that I mightn't have the choice in that. So that's a huge part of that choice. Yeah. So it gives you a little bit of control. Yeah. And that's, I suppose, what a business is supposed to do for you. But at the same time, Hollywood has done you a terrible disservice in the counselling space because everybody envisages a chaise lounge on which you're lying down, pouring your heart out, and somebody is sitting in front of you taking notes. That's not really how it works, is it? It's not. No, that's a real kind of Freudian you know, cliched image of the therapy room, I suppose. (laughs) Um, No, really, it's just sitting down with a person. Uh, The therapist is human as well. A lot of people kind of can forget that. And I suppose also on the side of the client, it's it's a huge thing to even think of going to therapy, not to mind reaching out, organizing it, and then showing up for it. It can be very scary. Like a person's already probably struggling, you know, with anxiety or whatever the issue is. And then having to deal with, the natural anxiety of going to therapy and being vulnerable and sitting with someone in a room, which can sometimes be quite intense. But really, when it comes down to it, it is just two humans sitting in a room. One is trained and skilled to facilitate the other person to grow and develop and kind of integrate and overcome their problems. So there's definitely no kind of like lying back and note taking and not much silence going on. Yeah, yeah. Totting as well as you're listening to their stories. But you do something called walk and talk counselling as well. Tell us about that. I do. And, you know, this coming back to the business side of it, this is the freedom that I love about this is I personally love hiking, going outdoors. You know, I swim nearly all year round in the sea and I've been doing that my whole life long before we called it sea swimming. But I suppose with the walk and talk, what that is, is that's therapy, but it's just while you're walking. I think a moment ago I said it can be quite intense to come to a therapy room, whereas for a lot of people going out for a walk, you're not sitting directly across from the therapist staring into each other's eyes. You know, it's not as intense. So kind of and obviously being outdoors, it facilitates 
there's more uh, being in nature there's more of a kind of an at ease feeling around the whole thing for some people when you were out walking and talking as we described it do people open up a little bit more because they're they're not looking at you i mean the, there's nothing more intimidating than someone staring lovingly into your eyes as you're trying to talk to them so being side by side does, does that make it easier it does for some people yeah yeah um and for some specific things it can make it much easier again anxiety is a huge one because you know anxiety can really present for a lot of people as um you know feeling a sense of shame or guilt or feeling like you might be found out about something um imposter syndrome is kind of a lesser intense version of anxiety and sitting in front of someone when they're looking at you and you have to do all the talking that can trigger a lot of that and like you're saying there if you're outside and me and you are walking together and you're telling me about your you know your deepest darkest thoughts or your most challenging moments and you don't have to look in my eyes or feel like I'm looking at you then there's less pressure, it's less intense, and it might facilitate you opening up, you know, to a deeper level or revealing something that you might not do if I was looking at you, because it, we all have those thoughts and things that we like to kind of keep secret, I suppose. So it's hard to do. And the walk and talk facilitates that, definitely. And I just tell you, even speaking to you, you've got a very calm voice, Leo. I mean, is that something that comes from training? Uh, you're the polar opposite of me, who sounds like I'm trying to sell you a television. Uh, but is 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 it the opposite of uh, what you, people, if, if, you know, you might encounter on the street, this lovely, soothing, relaxing voice? Um, I suppose, yeah, I suppose part of it is from training. Um, I'd, I'd be naturally like that myself. And I think a lot of people who are drawn to becoming therapists and counsellors would be naturally like that, empathic and, you know, kind of a bit slower and a bit more intentional. But in the training, you kind of learn that stuff as well. You know, you know how to connect to people, how to kind of when someone is speaking, how to hear what they're saying instead of just kind of listening and waiting to respond. There's a huge difference in, in listening and hearing when it's done with intention, you know. Um, and I suppose a lot of people might not experience being fully heard a lot of the time in their lives. So that can be quite intense as well. But yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, it is intense. But look, I I suppose you've made the step to go and try and get that bit of help. If people are trying to find you, Leo, how can they do it? Yeah, so I have a website. It's very simple. It's leomockley.com. All my contact details are up there. And, you know, somebody can go on, get a sense of who I am, what I do. You know, um, as a therapist, most therapists usually have experienced their own challenges and it leads them to becoming therapists. And in my own case, it's the same. So, you know, I know how hard it can be to go to therapy and how important it is to get the right therapist, because like I said, it's two humans sitting together. So there has to be a sense of clicking with the person. And I think as well, then in regards to the business sides of things, you know, different therapists work different hours. So there's someone for everyone out there. So people can get a sense of me on my website and I can always refer the person on if I'm not the right person for them. Okay, leomuckley.com is where you'll find him. Leo, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the soothing conversation and best of luck with the business. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I appreciate it. If you are going out and about to eat and you have got an allergy, it's very important you know what exactly is on the menu and that you stay safe. Well, my next guest is someone who takes it very seriously, Shannon O'Reilly, who is the co-founder of Trustish, which aims to bring you the information you need to make the right food choice. Shannon, you are very welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. We have met before because you went through the Ignite program in UCC, did you not? We did indeed. We did indeed. Um, and I won 
uh, the Investor Pathway Award uh, last November. So yeah, so you see, it's it's nice and straightforward. Uh, we know that I know exactly what you guys do, but to the great uninitiated who know not about Trustish, how did you set it up and why? So I come from a background in food retail. I have grown up, I suppose, working in my own family business. We come from a background in four courts and we run delis and food trucks within them. So it's something that I was really experiencing. I also have a sister who suffers from a severe peanut allergy and she's almost died many times while dining out. So I witnessed the challenges faced by both the food outlet or the person preparing the food, but also the person with the allergy. So I went off and I did a master's in food business and innovation here in Cork and UCC. And I had to carry out a thesis. And in that thesis, I identified what I saw was the biggest challenge in the food industry, the management of food allergies. Nobody wanted to deal with them. I was working up in BWG Foods in Dublin and I was determined to come up with some type of solution. And I suppose... Trust dish happened. Yeah, more than anything Trust else. You, 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 you came up with it because you had to. Um, the, the problem with allergies at the moment is if you have an allergy and you go into your deli or you go into a restaurant, somewhere there's a book. And in that book, it'll yeah. tell you what might or might not be in the food. And, you know, as someone who doesn't have an allergy, it doesn't affect me. But I'd imagine if, like your sister, you have this peanut allergy, you kind of have to scramble to find the book and then you have to work out if you can eat that bit, but not that bit. I mean, it must be a nightmare. So in the case of our own, like in our deli, we would have an allergen booklet, which is it's literally the size of a Bible. It's it's extremely thick. And I suppose if when you go into the store and you go look for it, first of all, a lot of people don't even know where it is. Secondly, you're kind of you're scrolling through it for ages to find that allergen and it's not updated on a regular basis, which, you know, you're having your new products are coming in every day and they're not being updated so it like for the likes of Rachel, when she goes and she opens up these booklets, it's often she she gets really embarrassed because people are, are staring at her and they're saying, geez, what is that person well, doing? She's holding up the queue, more importantly. She's holding, up, she? she's holding up the queue, exactly. And then in the likes of a restaurant, it's often that with the waiter or waitress, English mightn't be their first language. You know, the turnover is so high, so staff mightn't be trained correctly. So it's it's extremely difficult that, that they're up to date with their, I suppose, their allergen training and... Mm. It's it's often not the case, even though the, per- the the person preparing the food, the chef, probably knows all the allergens of the dish. They're they're well trained, but it's the person in the middle that causes most of the. So, so how how does trust app work? Is is, is the, how does trust dish work? Is it an app? So it's an app. So how it works for the person in the likes of Rachel's case, Rachel is allergic to peanuts, so she'll download trust dish, personalize it to her own needs. That being a peanut allergy, she will then be able to identify trust dish food outlets that are around her so there'll be like a map it's like uh if you have a if you have an electric car you can see where your chargers are around you so it's almost like that with trustish you can visit that food outlet and then you like in the case of a restaurant there'll be a qr code available on a menu or on a table and you'll be able to filter the allergen based on your own personal allergen or intolerant requirements okay so, so in other words you're not you're not scrambling looking for the book or trying to work out what the little symbols means a, a qr code will get it to you 100%. now the big problem in the sector is cost. So if you speak to anyone in the restaurant sector or indeed in the food service sector, they'll say margins are very tight. I literally can't afford to do anything else. How expensive is Trustish um, and how can you convince people that it is worthwhile? Well, the app itself for the user is free to download, but for the food outlets to have Trustish as a back office platform, we'll be starting out at a minimum of 40 euro a month. Now, this, I suppose, 
initially you might think you know this this is expensive but when you look at the costs of other like we in, even in our own store we have we have some subscriptions that we've subscribed to that could be a hundred and something per month and we don't even use them and we're we're kind of you know we're saying we we didn't even notice that that these were going out but now these in these days we we hear so many restaurants and cafes closing down with trustish i think it's it's looking at the benefits that it will have for your business and if you look at the amount of waste that is down with is is going down with food allergy so the much times that a waiter or waitress has had to throw out a dish that Rachel has ordered because it, uh, you know, that it might it would it have, might yeah, it, it had been contaminated or it, there was something oh, in it that she didn't realize. Yeah, so I mean, you're you're paying for peace of mind more than anything else, and I'd imagine it, it's something that retailers have to be conscious of. Now, you're formally launching the app. Is is it this year? So yes, the we're we're a bit behind schedule, but we have the app in our hands at the moment, and we are beta testing. So we are also kind of looking for beta testers to use the app. We have loads of actual restaurants and delis who are beta testing the back office platform, but it's the we need we need users. We need people who either have food allergies or intolerances, whether you're a parent, even a carer, or you have the allergy yourself. We need you because we are looking, we want to make this app right and we want to make your lives easier. And you know, so many people with food allergies and intolerances fear dining out a lot of people actually like the the biggest market for us is uh people who've just left left the nest between the age of 18 and 25 so they're students they're gone outside the home they no longer have mommy and daddy i suppose looking after them or speaking now, what they need they definitely need an app to support them if mommy and daddy aren't looking after the grub i agree with you oh, so no. how if, if somebody is out there and they have got an allergy and they do want to test this for you how do they get in contact so you can contact me, Shannon, at trustish.com or you can visit our website where you can sign up to become a beta tester. Okay, so it's Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-E-N at trustish.com. And Shannon, I really look forward to seeing this uh, everywhere in the next couple of years. It's a brilliant idea and one uh, that comes from the purest of places helping uh, your sister, Rachel. Shannon O'Reilly, co-founder of Trustish. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to Thanks us. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. The modern world is full of things that have nowhere to go, piling up in landfills, ending up in the ocean, ending up in the ditch. And as a planet, our method of a throwaway lifestyle has to be revised and revisited. We know that. And we need to focus on what we can remake instead of throwing out. And I'm joined today by someone who is developing a sustainable business, somebody who is well known in Cork from a previous life, but he's on a mission to make reducing, reusing and recycling our future with his re-commerce store, Style Barn. Richard Jacob, it's lovely to talk to you again. How are you? Very good. How are you? How's things? I'm very good. I, I mentioned people will know you from a previous life. So you were in the Idaho Cafe for many, many years. That's right. We were. We were there for more than 20, 21 years before we before we decided to decided to try another another branch of life. And we've we kind of we've just been watching when we had Idaho. We were the last sort of three years we were there. We were really bringing the business to, to be far more sustainable. We wanted to make it as waste free as possible. So we were cutting out every form of plastic. And by the time the lovely pandemic arrived, we got it down to having just one domestic wheelie bin of rubbish a week coming out of the place. So we were 
really we just about cut waste out of it. We're kind of looking and saying this is so doable everywhere. Then the pandemic arrived and the takeout cups were back because, because pandemic. And virtually every green initiative that you saw in Ireland just was immediately thrown out the window because, oh, no, you can't, the pandemic. And all yeah, the so, keep yeah, cups yeah, were yeah. gone, reusable cups were gone, and every ditch was full of reusable cups again. And at the moment, there are 200 million use cups are thrown out in Ireland every year. And it's yeah, just, it's, we, that's just one tiny piece of it. It's funny that uh, Terry Prone was on the RT Today show with me um, earlier this week and she said the plastic bag is back. Uh, and after she said it to me, I saw plastic bags everywhere. I mean, there's definitely something to it. So how is Style Barn going to help us reform our ways? It's, it's an interesting one because you don't want to be proselytizing. You don't want to be the one shouting and waving your waggy finger and saying you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I think that the way Style Barn is going to work is it's going to be a platform where we're going to be promoting things online that you can then go and buy. Rather than having a big website with maybe 5,000 items all stored in a huge big warehouse so that you can just go in and you maybe log on because you want to buy a T-shirt, but you end up buying a gold-plated mug instead. And, And this is kind of, it's a hard one, but I just think that we all need to be buying less, but buying better. So, like, for example, at the moment, you know, we see the Red Sea crisis. So everyone's looking at this map of all the ship shipping traffic and saying, oh my God, it's going around, the, having to go the whole way around Africa. And there's this just constant queue of cargo ships coming to from Asia, bringing basically stuff we don't need. And you kind of look and say, well, where, where are we buying all this stuff? And what are we doing with it? Mm. it it's like if you look at a, your house and the w- one room just full of waste packaging like we just got so used to buying something playing it, with it for a bit and then throwing it away and saying mm, do you know I, I get another one it was it was cheap enough anyway so we want to have somewhere where you can look look and find something and say this is something that actually isn't going to cost us the earth mm. like we have things like Glassware. So in, like when your average bottle is, you know, you take your recycling to the bottle bank and you break all your bottles satisfactorily and you say, yep, I'm a great citizen. This is brilliant. And all that glass is then taken off and it's made down, reformed into glass and then made back into another. Yeah, but that's the point, isn't it? It goes back and we get another bottle and the process goes through. But that takes up a lot of energy in between times. And, and you're trying to remove that middle bit, aren't you? Yeah, we have, what we're trying to do is basically have everything based around reduce, reuse, recycle. And like we all kind of grew up with that. Well, I grew up with that in the 80s. So you probably did in the 90s. And there's this kind of, it's it's just going back to how we used to do things. Like when people bought eggs, they brought their egg container with them. And, you know, you, you didn't go to a cafe without, you know, you there was a mug provided for you. But we're trying to do it in a way that keeps it nice and sassy and stylish. Because... I get a bit of a turn when I see the word eco and I'm as environmentally friendly as you like. But if I see the little green eco or green written onto a product, you kind of, it doesn't sell you necessarily that whole feel good thing. And we want to have things, we want to be selling products where people look and say, oh my God, I really want that. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Rather than, oh, that's great. It it won't hurt the planet too much. 
Your website has lovely stuff on it. I mean, you mentioned the glasses there. You, you've got somebody badly made books who's been, who they've been on the podcast before. Some really good stuff there. Uh, necklaces and, and, and bracelets that are made from old fishing fishing yarn and, and my favorite a 2004 manola blatic uh which i think was a shoe um that is now a, a shoe horn which is, is a fantastic reuse of it otherwise it would be thrown in the bin so i mean when you have all of this stuff coming together uh all you're looking for somebody is to make a conscious decision to do the right thing aren't you absolutely and i think as well for people who don't want to have to make the conscious decision i think you just provide a place where you're a place, kind of like a place of trust where you buy something, it's beautiful, you want it. And, oh, by the way, it's actually not destroying the planet at the same time. So if you don't want to get into the conversation about how our lifestyle is probably irreversibly destroying the planet, you can just buy a really nice notebook and not worry about the rest, mm. you know, without getting tied up in it. Like we buy from this brilliant core company yahoo it's you are what you wear angela o'donnell has it and she is making incredible sportswear and clothes out of recycled wool and recycled ocean plastic but that's not the point the point is that they're just really stylish funky clothes yeah and we have this beautiful rug that she makes and you can wear it as as a scarf And what it's made out of is yarn from carpet factories in England. When they get to a certain point on their spool of yarn, they just take it off because there isn't enough left to make a full carpet. And they throw that entire spool into a skip. And like there's just millions of tons of perfectly good stuff being binned just because it doesn't quite, it, it makes it easier to bin it rather than use it. And like she makes a beautiful rug, designs in Cork, made in England, and she's selling them. And it's it's got no environmental footprint whatsoever. It's something that would have gone into landfill instead of importing something or starting making something from scratch. Tell me a little bit uh, about what it's like to be outside of the restaurant sector now, though, Richard, because you look at restaurants closing like Claire Nash, having to close in Nash 19. Oh, there's so many others that have gone by the wayside as well. I mean, I know timing is everything, but uh, it must be very distressing still to look in on your former um, your former uh, area of expertise and, and see how many others are struggling. It, it, it is. It really is. And, you know, it's, like I've spent my life in hospitality, so most of my friends would be in the hospitality business and you meet up with them and you, you're almost trying not to mention that you're not there anymore because you know, there's a guilt. And like what's going on in hospitality is just this unbelievable sort of perfect storm of cost increases, wage increases. We've, we've, we've done it, but it's this, it's an it's a absolute just it's it's horrific to watch. And it, it's almost like there's no kind of, there isn't one fix to it because you can't kind of say previously, like when there was the recession in 2009, it was immediate. Well, if you just reduce VAT and restaurants reduce prices, then we're going to stimulate demand and away you go again. But this is so much more complicated because it's just down to this tiny, tiny sliver of profit that's left. And if a restaurant can't make that, they're gone. And it's, it's mm-hmm. unprecedented, really. Yeah, it is. And it's very grim to look on. But as I said, you have moved on to a very different area and the website is well worth a visit. Stylebarn.com. 
www.ie.ie. Richard Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks a million, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. And that's it for this episode of Red Business. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, Red Business in Focus, with thanks to Cork's local enterprises offices, our video series is up on the website, redfm.ie. Schieffer Clear was the producer on this episode, and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. 